This is an ABC podcast. This episode of Background Briefing contains some strong language. Thousands of protesters are marching in the streets of Melbourne. They're part of an international uprising launched in solidarity with the women of Iran. And together, they're screaming the chant of the movement, Zan Zendegi Azadi, Woman, Life, Freedom. Two weeks of nationwide protests have seen students burning hijabs in the street, chanting women, life, freedom! The event that sparked the protest was the arrest of a 22-year-old woman who was detained for allegedly wearing a headscarf, or hijab, too loosely. She was taken in a police van where, her relatives say, she was tortured. She fell into a coma and was taken to hospital, but died three days later. Her name was Masa Amini. The protests began in Iran with women revolting against strict cultural rules by publicly cutting their hair and burning their hijabs. But there's been a brutal retaliation from the Iranian regime. The journalists who helped break the story were arrested and are still locked up. University and high school students have been punished for demonstrating. More than 250 people are thought to have been killed, including dozens of children. As the Melbourne crowd chants loudly in unison, I notice something strange. Dozens of face masks are being handed out, but I'm told it's not to stop the spread of COVID. These masks are to hide the faces of protesters who have family back in Iran, because they tell me the crackdown of dissidents by the Iranian government has now reached the streets of Melbourne. They fear that right now, they're being watched, and if they're identified, their families back home will face the consequences. What I want to know is just how justified is that fear? And how far does the Iranian regime's power reach? Because what I'm hearing from protesters across Australia is that it does not stop at our borders. Hello, hello. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. In a studio somewhere in Australia, a woman we'll call Yasmin is setting up for our interview. She tells me her real name. But you know I don't want anyone to know that. She says if we use it, it'll put her family in danger. Yasmin grew up in Iran, but left seven years ago. Ever since the recent wave of protests started spreading around the world, She's been thinking about her home country and the terrible story that drove her to leave it in the first place. 
And that journey began with an email from a psychic. Someone had sent me an email about a psychic that was telling us, like, um, I don't know, some things about our life. So I, before that day, like, I went on her website and put my information, and uh, the email I received was, like, on this day, a specific day, I can't remember the date, um, your life going to be changed? <laughs> something really good going to happen to you? After reading about her good fortune... Yasmin decided to make the most of it. Um, so uh, I was talking to my cousin. I said, like, let's go out, let's have some fun because um, it's going to be my day. Yasmin and her friends were going to watch the American thriller Seven, starring Brad Pitt. On the phone with her cousin, they started making plans. They got the DVD or CD at that time. And she said, like, let's go to their place, get the CD and watch that movie tonight. And I was like, OK, let's go there. In Iran, even a simple act like this is political and it can land you in serious trouble. The country is a Shiite theocracy. Its laws are based on a strict moral code and enforced by so-called morality police. American films like the one Yasmin was planning to watch are banned because the government says they promote Western culture and damage Eastern traditions. But Yasmin, her younger sister and her friends, decided to travel to a friend's house to watch the movie anyway. On the way there, they took a detour. I was driving and my sister was sitting on the back seat. So um, this specific street, it was a sort of hub for young boys and girls to meet each other. The street was crowded with young people chatting and flirting. In the car, the girls were playing loud music and checking out groups of boys as they rolled by. And we were laughing and dancing and happy. Um, Then it was terrific jam on the both sides of the street. Suddenly, she heard an angry voice over the top of the music. So I heard someone said, like, turn that bloody music down. And I looked at him and I just ignored him because he was, he was just a normal person, like standing up in the bus stop. A stranger was yelling at them to turn their music down. Yasmin thought he was some kind of religious fundamentalist. And like, um, we know these extremists. For us, growing up with them, you can't tell he's one of them. As the cars drew to a halt, the man became more agitated. And um, I think like he was showing me with his hand that like put your, bring your scarf, um, um, like put your hijab properly. Yasmin was feeling on top of the world. She was with her friends. Today was supposed to be her day. So she did something that very soon she would come to regret. I just looked at him and um, it was a, distance, I don't know, like he was on the other side of the streets. I said, fuck you. So, (laughs) yeah, because I was like, well, do you want to ruin my life? I'm not going to let you do that. So fuck you. From there, things escalated quickly. Someone started kicking the back door, like jumping on the car and kicking the back door. A group of men she couldn't see and didn't know started attacking the car. 
he was like open the door open the door and I was like what's going on Yasmin unlocked the car and opened her door suddenly the guy from the bus stop jumped into the car and pulled out a gun and he pointed his gun to my head and he said like are you swearing at me I'm gonna show you the man cocked the gun back and asked Yasmin the question again he was taking the bullets out and pushing that thing back in again uh, back and forth to scare us and um, my sister like I'll never ever forget this like I was just worried about my sister because I was saying like I don't care about what will happen to me but I was always been protecting my sister so sorry I'm getting emotional the man identified himself as a judge. He forced her to drive to the police station. When she got there, she found a group of angry men waiting there for her. The second I parked my car, they opened our car's door. They attacked the back doors. One of the men grabbed her cousin's hair and tried to drag her from the car. Another started laying into her sister. So I went there to help her. But like I couldn't do anything. He started bashing head, and I tried to go and uh, um, help my sister. But like the thing I saw was like um, the other guy was bashing my sister, and he kicked my sister, and my sister jumped like two, three meters away. Like he threw her. Um, they were throwing punches and uh, kicking them, basically. When she was eventually led inside the police station, Yasmin learned she was being accused of some very serious crimes. I was like big crimes, like I was leading a sort of gang, and uh, like I'm a prostitute. I was trying to manipulate other young girls on the street and take them to my uh, team. Yeah, these are really big things in Iran. The penalty was execution by stoning. Yeah, like dying is something, being stoned to death is another thing. Yasmin was taken to Tehran's notorious Vozara detention centre, the same place Masa Amini would be taken to, where she would collapse and fall into a coma before dying. Yasmin spent all night thinking she and her sister would be killed the following day. Yeah, still, honestly, I was thinking, I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to see the outside world again. In the morning, there was a knock on the cell door, and Yasmin and her sister were escorted out. They were taken to a courtroom where they sat outside and waited to be sentenced. From her seat, Yasmin could see the execution room. We could hear what was happening inside the execution room, and there was another boy. He was uh, 13 years old, 14 years old, something like that. And he was there with his dad and his dad was begging them that he's just a school kid. He has to go back to school tomorrow. Like, don't do it to him. But they were not listening. They they lashed him 80 times. And I could hear, we all could hear that boy uh, screaming and begging them. Yeah, it was horrible. Then it was Yasmin's turn to face the judge. If it was the same one she had sworn at in the street, she was sure she'd be facing the death penalty. 
When she opened the door, she looked to the front of the room. It was a different judge. And that was the moment I came back to life. I was like, it's not him. That's it. It's not him. The judge threw out the most serious sex trafficking offences, but fined her and her sister thousands of dollars for not wearing a hijab and for other minor offences. Then she was released. I got my life back. So, yeah, and then I got my confidence back. But Yasmin was traumatised by the experience and decided to flee Iran for Australia. Now, as she watches women, including her sisters, lead the protests on the streets of her old hometown, Tehran, the story is deeply personal. My sister is still there and she's going on the streets and I have zero control on that. Like, she was attacked by the extremists. It's so uh, scary because, like, they're not normal and you don't know what if one of them shoots, you know what I mean? They're out of control. In Australia, Yasmin has been marching in solidarity with her sisters. But even here, she says she and other Iranian Australians are scared. This is why Yasmin's asked for her name to be changed. And now she's warning other people like her, be careful, they're watching you. I want to be super honest with you. You know how many times a day I'm getting paranoid, like, is this the right thing that I'm talking to you? (laughs) And I'm like, come on. But like, it haunts us, you know what I mean? They have power in this country. So yeah, that's what scares us. I've been following the protests here in Australia for weeks, and the paranoia that Yasmin's describing is really common. People are afraid because if they're seen opposing the Iranian regime in Australia, it could have consequences for them or their families back in Iran. One of those men is Masoud. There are many, many like Iranian regime's informers right here in Australia. They come and like films us, everyone knows about it. Um, and they report back. Masood has long flowing black hair, like the frontman from a 70s Iranian funk band. Since the latest demonstrations broke out in Iran, Masood's been protesting in capital cities up and down the east coast of Australia. And he's noticed strangers with cameras filming him and the other protest organisers. It's happened so many times that recently, he decided to confront one of them, take his picture and report it to police. It was so bad that this time the Australian police actually promised us that they are not going to let them do that again. Masuda sent me photographs of the guy he reported to police. In them, he looks like a pretty unremarkable man in his 30s. He's clean-shaven, wearing a dark navy trench coat and a slightly surprised expression on his face. It's like he's just noticed that this time He's the one who's having his photo taken. My colleagues and I ran various searches using open source intelligence, but couldn't find a match. I asked New South Wales police about Masood's complaint and about the man in the photo, but police refused to comment on ongoing investigations and couldn't confirm or deny Masood's allegation that the man in the photograph was linked to Iranian intelligence. So I asked Masood, Could you ask Iranian authorities about it? 
That is not a very wise thing to do if you care about your family members back in your own country. If you go and talk to them, it is not a wise choice at all. Why not? Because your family in Iran would be in trouble. What would the trouble look like? Trouble? They would arrest them. They would force them to come in front of cameras and say that we hate you, we hate you, we hate our son, or we just say that we, we are not with him, we don't support him. Or even worse, they're gonna like take him hostage to force you to go back to there. Yeah. So they can arrest you. It has happened. Masood's story about mysterious people taking photos of protesters is consistent with the rumours I'm hearing, but it's still unverifiable. No one I've spoken to can provide concrete evidence of the intimidation Masood's describing. Human Rights Watch has confirmed it's a common tactic and that the Iranian government does intimidate relatives of foreign-based dissidents to silence criticism. And I've spoken with several protesters who tell me that after they were spotted at protests in Australia, their families back in Iran have been visited by local authorities. None of the protesters are willing to speak publicly. They tell me the intimidation tactic is working. They're terrified that if they speak out, their families in Iran will be in danger. And so that's where my search ends. That is, until I get a phone call from someone and they agree to an interview. Yeah. And I don't mind uh, if you name me my name. Really? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm okay. That's incredibly brave. (laughs) If I go with any other name, that wouldn't be me. And I don't want to be someone else. This is me. I'm standing with the brave women and men of Iran. They're very brave inside the country. They are fighting for their own liberties with their bare hands. They don't have anything. Uh, I'm going to stand with them with my real name. Sahar Golizadeh is the former president of the Australian-Iranian Society of Victoria. She's lived here since 2012. Last month, she was inducted to the Victorian Honour Roll of Women for her community work during the COVID pandemic. And since the protests broke out in Iran, Sahar's been using social media to out the Iranian officials involved in the violent retaliation. I started... uh broadcasting on on my social media saying that I'm your voice because the government cut down the internet. So I said that I will publish your posts. And people started actually sending me their videos, their pictures and all of that. But the Iranian regime was watching. And since Sahar started rebroadcasting that content, she and her family have been threatened This is the first time she's spoken publicly about it. I think maybe a week after the death of Mahsa, they went to my parents and they said that uh, you have to ask your daughter to stop. Sahar didn't stop. So the regime took further action. This time, officials didn't just talk to the parents, they targeted their activities. Her dad had recently built a school in memory of her late brother. Because my father, they donate uh, like a, a land and they built a school just recently under 
my brother's name who passed away a few years back and uh, they said that we will take that down we will take your family's name down uh, you need to tell your daughter to stop Sahar hasn't spoken to her father for over a month because they fear their phones are being tapped which is a concern I've heard from several protesters but she has been speaking with her sister who has kept her in the loop and has your sister been threatened as well a lot a lot more than more than 10 times they have taken her for the questions and they said that she has to stop and I have to stop as well otherwise she will she will lose her job and they will take her to the custody but again sahar refused to stop posting then the authorities visited her relative in iran he sent sahar a voice message warning her to stop posting but she kept going a few days later the authorities drafted a text which they sent to sahar via her relative it read like a confession did you bring the letter with you that they asked you to yes, sign? Yes, it is. Can you read it to us? It says that man dar Iran zindagi nemikonam va hech kuna shanakhti nisbat be sharait Iran nadaram va sal hast az keshvaram So it says that I'm not living in Iran. I made a mistake. I've been brainwashed and I've misjudged the situation of Iran. And uh, with this status, um, I'm apologizing to people of Iran and that I have been saying or posting or putting the pictures on uh, about the protest. This is not the real Iran that I have sent in the past few weeks. It was a very long letter and they asked me to sign it and post it on social media. In the letter, Sahar is asked to clear the names of those she outed by saying they were not involved in the crackdowns. Because the US recently announced new sanctions against specific members of the regime involved in the crackdown, having their name and face in posts like Sahar's could land them in trouble. In the end, Sahar refused to post a fake confession. She says she has her family's support even in the face of serious risks even as a kid until now every time that i was stressed at night i had this nightmare that i don't have a voice i want to talk but i don't have a voice and now here in australia i found that i found my voice i can talk but still here we do have people that they want to shut down your voice still Sahar is now an Australian citizen, and although she has found her voice in Australia, she opted to stay home during last week's protests because of the threats. Uh, last Saturday, because uh, there was a massive demonstration across the world, and because I haven't been feeling very well um, because of all these threats and everything, actually I didn't take part on that. The extent of this direct intervention by the Iranian government against its perceived enemies on Australian soil seems shocking, but for the community, it's an open secret. And according to one Australian academic, it's only half the story. Oh yes, definitely, and I've been targeted by them myself. <laughs> 
Dr. Kylie Moore Gilbert is an Australian-British academic and expert on Islamic studies. From September 2018 to November 2020, she was imprisoned in Iran on a charge of espionage after visiting the country to attend an academic conference. The Australian government has rejected the charges as baseless and politically motivated. Since her release, she's been an outspoken critic of the regime. I have had some of my events monitored by Iranian individuals in a suspicious way who've asked questions of other Iranian audience members at my events that were also highly suspicious. And I've also been hacked by them. I mean, that's probably coming out of Iran, not from Australia, but a couple of times I've been hacked by the Iranian state. So unfortunately, I'm a target. And it's probably because I haven't gone away quietly and I've continued to speak out. While it's difficult to prove exactly who was behind the hacks on Dr Moore Gilbert's devices, the Iranian government has a history of these types of attacks in Australia. For years, the US intelligence community has singled out Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps as a driving force behind Iranian state-sponsored cyber attacks on the West. They're a special branch of the Iranian armed forces whose job is to protect the country's Islamic Republic political system. From 2013 to 2017, up to 26 Australian universities were targeted by a hacking group known as Silent Librarian. US officials allege the hackers to be a company called the Mabna Institute, linked to Iran's Revolutionary Guard. The campaign resulted in the theft of billions of dollars worth of data. Just last year, US, British, Canadian and Australian authorities issued a joint statement warning of continuous malicious activities by Iranian-backed hacker groups. Dr Kylie Moore Gilbert agrees the threat is real and people here in Australia need to take it seriously. There are Iranian intelligence and also Iranians who are sympathetic to the regime, who could be prevailed upon to provide information or inform on their compatriots in Australia, even if they're not trained up members of the intelligence. A spokesperson from the Australian Cybersecurity Centre told Background Briefing there's been broad targeting of Australians and rapid exploitation of technical vulnerabilities by state actors and cyber criminals seeking to exploit weaknesses and steal sensitive data. It's something ASIO's Director General, Mike Burgess, warned about in his annual threat assessment this year, without singling out any one foreign government. Foreign governments will often monitor and intimidate members of diaspora communities who are critics of their government or express views which odds with the regime's policies. It's unacceptable that people who live in your street and mine are subject to the strong arm and the long arm of a foreign state. But the connections between the Iranian government and Australia go deeper than threats, intimidation and cyber attacks. Something Dr Moore Gilbert says she knows about firsthand. I, I know of several cases of students at Australian universities, especially PhD students, who are themselves members of the Revolutionary Guards or of the besieged militia groups, the exact groups who are on the streets in Iran right now shooting innocent protesters dead, studying at Australian universities. And it's not just members of the Revolutionary Guards. Even one of the regime's senior ministers was educated at an Australian university. That one catches my attention. 
Energy companies are spending billions of dollars to convert natural gas to clean fuel. This is the voice of Iran's current Minister of Communications, Isa Zaripur. My innovation aims to control a chemical reaction at molecular level using a network of nanomachines which each are... But when this video was made back in 2014, he was a promising PhD candidate at the University of New South Wales. His research into nanotechnology even won him an innovation prize. And when he graduated in 2015, he was photographed shaking hands with the university's vice-chancellor, David Gonski. These days, Zaripur isn't known for his work in nanotechnology, but as the architect of a widespread internet blackout. That's according to the US, even though he denies it. As the current wave of protests gathered momentum inside Iran, Last month, the United States and the EU announced sanctions against him. In a statement, the US Department of Treasury said, as communications minister, he was responsible for the Iranian government's attempt to block the internet access of millions of Iranians. We have a situation where, you know, Germany, Canada, the US, the UK, the EU have all announced new sanctions on Iranian officials responsible for this crackdown, including government ministers like the Minister of Communications, who's responsible for shutting down the internet across the country and trying to cover up the violence of, of the crackdown. Dr Moore Gilbert says, given the Iranian regime's track record of intimidating her, of targeting dissidents, of hacking Australian institutions and private businesses, the Australian government should be pushing back harder. And I don't think that any measures have really ever been undertaken to prevent Iranian sympathisers or Iranian operatives from, from carrying out their business here in Australia. She supports protesters' calls for the Australian government to follow the US in declaring the Revolutionary Guard Corps a terrorist organisation. We need to take a stand. We need to know what our values are and... The regime is literally massacring teenage girls on the streets right now. It's not good enough that we say, oh, we have trade interests or we have diplomatic interests maintaining good relations with Iran, therefore we're going to do nothing about that. I think we need to reflect on what our values are as a society and the foreign ministry, the government needs to join our international partners in taking a firmer stance on what's happening in Iran today. I approached Minister Zaripur and sent him questions. But so far, there's been no answer. I asked Australia's foreign minister, Penny Wong, for an interview, but she declined. In a written response, a Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade spokesperson said, the Australian government strongly condemns the ongoing heavy-handed repression of protests by Iranian authorities. We have also raised our concerns directly with the Iranian embassy in Canberra, and have made our views clear through support for a number of multilateral statements. In response to the sanctions, the spokesperson said, the Australian government does not comment publicly or speculate on potential sanctions. Under both our UN and autonomous sanctions legislation, Australia has imposed targeted sanctions on the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, as well as a number of IRGC-linked individuals and entities. I also contacted the Iranian embassy in Canberra. They didn't respond to my questions, but provided a series of statements instead, defending their government's handling of the protests, 
saying a few violent protesters had turned peaceful gatherings into riots and were further egged on by terrorist groups. They accused the US and other Western countries of interference and denied the internet was shut down across Iran, saying the restrictions in place are completely limited and temporary and only affect some platforms. We are all brothers and sisters in humanity, and we need to support one another. It's a Saturday afternoon, and I'm on Bondi Beach with over a thousand protesters. They've coordinated a global protest to call on the Western world to apply more pressure on the Iranian regime. Dozens of protesters on the front lines are wearing masks, but there's more and more people getting in front of cameras without masks and screaming, Marg bar Khamenei, death to Khamenei. It's the ultimate insult. In the crowd, Masood is holding a poster with the image of an imprisoned journalist, Hossein Ronaghi. The poster reads, both legs and one hand broken in prison, vomiting blood, Islamic regime is killing him. Like Dr Moore Gilbert, Masood also wants to see something tangible done by the Australian government. We heard that actually eight um, parliament members as I have, heard, have written like a letter to um, Prime Minister Albanese and asked asked him to put like like the Revolutionary Guard on the terrorist list. It's more, it, this should have been done many years ago. Many years ago, they shot an airplane. They are just openly like like giving money, like funding all terrorist organizations around the world. These are actually like documented by their own like intelligence services and their own media, and it's still they are just still saying condemning them. It is not helpful. Masood looks over the crowd. His eyes fill with tears. 23 children have been documented by international organizations, have been murdered. And no one is talking. They are using ambulances to abduct people. There are many, many, many countless footages of them. Mary is Red Cross. She was 16. Another protester removes his mask before taking the microphone and addressing the cameras at the front of the crowd. A revolution doesn't come easy. The price for freedom is a lot. People are paying their blood. I called my family and I told them, you may get arrested. You may get arrested because I'm, I'm active here. Something might happen to you. If that happens, I send you all my love, but I'm proud, I'm proud. If something happens to you, yeah, look at, Look at Nika's mother. She was interviewed in front of people and she said, I am proud of my daughter. She didn't even cry. She was like, I am proud of my daughter. She gave her life for Iran. We all got to pay a price and we got to support our people. Right now, they're dying. The protester connects his iPhone to the speaker and plays Baraya, a song that's become the anthem of the movement. The artist who first performed the song was arrested a few days after it went viral. Oh, 
آبادی برای دختری که آرزو داشت پسر بود برای زن On the beach in Bondi, everyone links arms together and looks out towards the sea, singing the lyrics. Many have removed their masks. The anthem goes, For women, life, freedom. For freedom. For freedom. For freedom. Briefings sound producers are Lila Shunna and Nathan Turnbull. Sound engineering by Wei Nguyen. Fact checking by Benjamin Sveen. Our supervising producer is Alex Mann. The executive producer is Fanu Falali. And I'm Mahmoud Fazal. You can subscribe to Background Briefing on the ABC Listen app. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.